that's where this came from. I'm searching everywhere, but we have messages from so many locations, I can't fucking find anything. <laughs> uh, but this suggestion came from our listener, Bridget, who suggested back in June, and we're covering it in September or October, so that feels pretty timely. Pretty decent for yeah. us. We usually don't. I just didn't. I wasn't aware of what this was. I wrote it down on our list of things to cover, mm-hmm. and then when I was looking for some things that might be mini episode worthy, I was like, "What the fuck does this even mean?" Because she said, uh, "Any thoughts on doing a Cheryl Crow Tuesday Night Music Club Suicide episode?" So I was like, "I don't know that. I don't know what that means." Me neither. But I'm interested. So I got the details. It's not what I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was maybe a suicide that happened at a club. Well, you're going to read it, so you oh, better shit. fucking know. Alrighty. You're going to be the one to discover. Guess it is my turn. What this? What exactly happened? So, uh, you got any fun stories, any news going on with you? I don't know. I mean, this is the third episode that we're recording in a row, okay, so, so nothing has happened already. since the last two. Uh, when this comes it's only been... out, I'll be officially done for the fucking year with going on trips and shit. I've just been on too many trips these last uh, yeah. couple of months. It was Ireland. I had two weeks off, and then mm-hmm. it was Dragon Con, and then I had two weeks off, and now I'm going to fucking Louder Than Life, which will be two weeks past you know, this episode, but whatever. I'm fucking burnt out. Cool. Yeah, I was going to see Shania Twain in October, but the tickets all got bought up by scalpers and now they're reselling for $200 plus fees. Uh, no. And fuck that. I paid $250 to see Paul McCartney and I'm not doing that shit. I love Shania Twain, but I will not pay that much money to see somebody who's not like Billy Joel, Elton John, or Paul McCartney. Fuck you, that. You know, I saw today... I don't know if it's true. I probably should look it up. But I saw a thing today. The uh, I don't know his name. The dude that did the Richmond, North of Richmond song that oh, blew Greg up. Anthony. Yeah. He canceled the show because they were selling tickets for too much. Right. Yeah. That's what I. Oh, so, so that was true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's what I saw. He canceled his show because they were selling them for like ninety nine or a hundred dollars or something like that. He's, he's literally nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's like, look, I, I, there's no reason for you guys to be paying that kind of money. The what. From what I read, he said like he left that job up to somebody that you know he wasn't directly involved in that, and he's like these tickets should be like twenty five bucks. Yeah, because he's and nobody. free free meet and greets. Yeah, he just ended up doing a free show with Papa Roach, anyways, because at Blue Ridge Rock Fest he was supposed to play, and I he he's one of the few people who did actually get to fucking play, and uh, once the whole thing got canceled, um, and people were stuck in the in the parking lot in the campground, then. Shine down, Papa Roach and Oliver Anthony went out and and performed for the people who were still left there on one of the last oh, okay. days because everybody had so much trouble getting out. So they did a little parking lot performance. Okay, for well, them. that was a separate incident from the yes, his, his yes. show and being then, overpriced. Well, he performed with them, so now he knows the guys from Papa Roach and Shine Down. Right, and then you know a couple days later he was supposed to do this show, canceled it because the tickets were too expensive, and he was like, "Yeah, fuck that," and he ended up doing a free show with Papa Roach instead. Hell yeah. So, he, you know, the uh, another artist that we've talked about that's kind of like that with his shows is Kid Rock. He doesn't like to overcharge for his shows. He's like, the people that listen to my music are regular blue collar people. They can't be spending a hundred dollars to go to a show. Yeah. You know, 20 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever. I don't know that he does that anymore, but he was for a while. And that's that's like a thing that I appreciate about Kid Rock is his. $20 ticket thing because he would do the deal and he would bring good artists with him like uh foreigner mm-hmm. you know i everybody knows at least five foreigner songs so you go see kid rock and foreigner 
You pay 20 bucks no matter where you're sitting in the house. So That sounds like a weird combination. Uh, very, very uh, distinct I mean, styles of music. Yeah, but, but whatever. Cool. I mean, I'll go see it. Whatever. <laughs> I don't give a shit. No, I would too. Um, it just seems kind of odd, an odd combination. The Cure also did a thing recently with tickets where they were going on tour. Their tickets went through Ticketmaster and they jacked up the fees on all this shit. And then all these scalpers got to it and they were like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. So they canceled a whole bunch of tickets that went to scalpers and, uh, you know, made sure the prices were set at a reasonable That's... thing. Like they were able to actually negotiate with Ticketmaster to drop the prices back down, cut all the bullshit and resell the tickets. And it was, they had the best, the highest grossing tour of their career, even cutting the profit margin that they would have made. That, that is something that needs to happen more because I've seen Taylor Swift incident with her tickets going on sale and all that shit. And then mm -hmm. people are paying thousands of dollars for these things. But and those that does tickets not... weren't initially priced at that. That's the thing is like the, Ticketmaster crashed for Taylor Swift's show. Yeah, some people got through, some people didn't. Some seats were oversold, whatever. Like, the whole shit was just completely fucked up. But the tickets weren't initially priced that high. Right. And then once the scalpers all got through and all the bots that were buying them up, they put them on resale for $9,000, and people are actually paying for that. So fuck that. And she tried. I mean, they had a whole process where, like, I couldn't even get into the lobby to buy the tickets because I you had to uh, apply for it in advance. So they only let a certain number of people through. Right. And I wasn't approved for it. It was a lottery, basically. And then if you hmm. got through, they gave you a code. Then you could go on the website that day and try to purchase tickets. So uh, that, uh, the whole system's fucked up. Fuck, yeah, I know that whole situation was screwy there. Yeah. But it's just it, that's just ridiculous. It, it, I don't know. <sighs> Anyways, uh, no, this story has nothing to do. With no, any of nothing that. to do with any of that. But we, it gave us something to talk about. Well, you asked what was going on, and right. what's going on is I'm not fucking spending two hundred and fifty dollars to see Shania Twain. Well, good. I'll just continue to sing her songs in the car, every single one of them, in a row. Oh, me too. She's so goddamn good. Sure. She is. Uh, okay. So uh, yes. Okay. Cheryl uh, Crow. Cheryl Crow. Before we get into that, you're listening to Death by Music podcast. I am Jake here with Alex. Welcome to the show. And yes, we're talking about Cheryl Crow performing on Letterman. Somebody's suicide was blamed for an author's suicide by Josh Krupp, and this is on Uprocks.com. That's two X's, not a CK. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Cheryl Crow had a successful career before it, anyone knew of her. She wrote commercial jingles, including one for McDonald's, toured with Michael Jackson on his Bad World Tour from 1987 to 89, uh, and sang on the Point Break and Leap of Faith soundtracks. By the early 1990s, though, she was ready to make it on her own. Crow's planned debut album was pulled by her label at the last second, but rather than going back to writing ditties about mediocre burgers... Whoa, those fighting words. Yeah, shots I, fired. I love a McDonald's burger. You know what's better, though? A Sonic burger. Sonic burgers are I so I can't remember good. the last time I've gotten a burger from Sonic. I got one when I was doing my personal training thing because it was all I could think of for a week. <laughs> and and I, I would treat myself on Saturdays. Your cheat, like Your cheat meal? Yeah, whatever meal. I would I would think of a meal all week long and I would let myself have it on Saturday. And it I, honestly, it made a Sonic burger so much better than a Sonic burger actually is because I was anticipating it oh, for yeah. a whole fucking week. 
And I was just thinking about like the lettuce and the onions and the, how big the bun is. And I was like, I can't <laughs> fucking wait for this shit. And it was um, it was incredible. It's probably a lot better when you haven't eaten shit in a long time. Dude, when you're just eating chicken and rice every day for a fucking week, Sonic burgers are <laughs> dank. I recommend it. But I would have I was craving McDonald's too, but I got the Sonic one because it's like five times bigger than a McDonald's burger. Anyways. Seems logical. Um, Cheryl Crow. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> back to the story here. Uh, she teamed up with a group of local L.A. musicians who called themselves the Tuesday Music Club. And that is why I thought this was a nightclub suicide. <laughs> like someone committed suicide at her show. Oh, okay. But she was in the Tuesday Music Club, so that makes more gotcha. sense. Gotcha. That's where she met Kevin Gilbert, Bill Buttrell, and David Bearwald, uh, who helped her co-write Tuesday Night Music Club, which, thanks to its multiple chart-lingering hits and four Grammy nominations, three wins, turned Crow into a music superstar. You still hear the singles on the radio to this day. All I Want to Do, Strong Enough, Can't Cry Anymore, Leaving Vegas. Uh, it's Las a Vegas. Whoop, oh, Leaving Las Vegas. There we go. It's a performance of that last song on Late Show with David Letterman that's often credited with uh, catapulting Crow's fame. It's also rumored to be the reason why author John O'Brien killed himself. So the album was called Tuesday Night Music Club. I I have never really listened to Sheryl Crow. I just know the radio hits. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, okay. So the last song, Leaving Las Vegas, is the one that allegedly prompted this suicide. All right. The key moment in the clip is when Letterman asks her if the song is autobiographical. Crow's response, uh, yes, actually, I've never lived there. The second sentence is true. The first, not so much. The name comes from O'Brien's 1990 novel, which was also turned into a movie with an Oscar-winning performance from Nicolas Cage. O'Brien was friends with Bearwald, who asked for permission to lift it to uh, lift it the title. O'Brien's sister, Aaron, said that all her brother asked for was that he got credit somewhere down the line. So about that, the title came from a book written by John O'Brien, a friend of David Bearwald, who helped write this. Crow did not know this and didn't give the novelist credit for the title. O'Brien killed himself after this became popular, blaming Crow for his depression. That's from songfacts.com, by the way. Hmm. Here's what sister Aaron had to say. John's name never appeared in conjunction with the song, but make no mistake, the title for the song was born of the title of the novel. Then on David Letterman one night, Crow was a guest and announced that the song was autobiographical. My brother was furious. All sorts of rumors swirled around the story, most of them false. I, I'll clarify one and say that this fiasco was by no means the reason John committed suicide. I would say that because that there's got to be a lot more going on than just somebody yeah. claiming... Your book title, you know, not giving you credit. That's not. Well, even even then, like, I don't know what this fucking song's about, but maybe the song was autobiographical, but the title was just pulled from somewhere else. That doesn't. I don't know. That's not something you kill yourself over. Yeah. You have obviously been suffering from other sorts of uh, problems. You've got bigger, deeper problems that have been festering for longer than than just that. Yeah. And like, maybe that was just the fucking cherry on top of what's already been like bad that's a possibility but or yeah. whatever where he just wanted a little bit of credit she's on tv she doesn't give him credit but it sounds like she didn't know that he even had anything to do with it right so that kind of sucks that this whole thing got spun on her like that because she's 
over there. She's like, completely in the dark. What on the it. fuck? Like, why would somebody kill themselves over my interview on David Letterman? Right. That really sucks for her. When Crow appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone in 1996, she was asked about what happened on Letterman. She admits that she was doomed this second she told him that, yes, the song's autobiographical. Musicians aren't often asked to join the host. She was probably caught off guard. But what happened next absolutely destroyed her. When O'Brien heard Crow say yes, recalls his sister Aaron, he got really torqued. O'Brien's father, John, drove his son through Venice, where O'Brien found Bearwald's house and pounded on the door. The wrath rattled around after O'Brien shot himself three weeks later. Bearwald wrote a heartbroken piece for the LA Weekly, accusing Crow of causing him to betray his friend and by pointedly saying he didn't really blame anyone for O'Brien's suicide, somehow blamed her. Hmm. That absolutely destroyed me, uh, says Crow. O'Brien's family, however, absolves her. John was just mad about it, says his father. I don't think anything at all having to do with this Cheryl Crow business was even on the block in the foundation of his suicide. That yeah. makes sense. Uh, Aaron says, John had a pretty jaded view of the entertainment industry, and, you know, this type of event contributed in no small part to that attitude. But the problems that drove him toward the end were, you know, that's a long, long, bloody trip. Yeah, this is all just so confusing. Like, out of, she made a just seemingly harmless comment. Right. Obviously, it pissed the guy off, but... That's a kind of an excessive reaction. And for anyone, I mean, the guy that she was actually friends with, Bearwald, to write a thing that somehow still blames her and publish that somewhere is like... Yeah, he's like, he's kind of throwing her under the bus, but... but what I, what, the way that I'm kind of interpret, uh, interpreting the way that she responded to this question is like, oh, is this autobiographical? Um, tell us about the song or whatever. Where you're like, oh, uh, yeah, um, blah, 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 blah. Like, not necessarily saying yes to the question, but... Like, yes, to start your answer off. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I think I know what you're saying. Because people just kind of do that. They're like, you know well, people... yeah, you, you, you're not necessarily answering the question by saying, yeah, it's just sometimes you, you start off. Something. Yeah, you, you start off a sentence like that. When people say, yeah, no, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, just words, like Ozzy Man. None of those words yeah, meant no, anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it was. That's how I'm interpreting it. This is like ridiculous that I went this far. Right. Uh, Bearwald was also widely quoted. Cro- <laughs> Cheryl, <laughs> Cheryl quoted. Bearwald was also widely quoted on Tuesday Music uh, Club's Kevin Gilbert, who at times had both a professional and romantic relationship with Crow, was found dead in 1996 at the age of 29, a, vic- a victim of autoerotic asphyxiation. Whoa. It seems to have been a trend in the 90s. Damn, we just did that episode recently on Michael Hutchins from NXS, and that was one of the theories about his death. If you haven't listened right. to that episode, I urge you to go back and find it. It was from season five. Okay, so yeah, one year before Michael Hutchins died, they say one of the other guys in the club who was dating Cheryl on and off died. Jeez, at age 29. Mm-hmm. Wild. Okay, so in his obituary... Uh, yes, in an obituary that appeared in Entertainment Weekly, he was labeled simply as Crow's piano player, not a talented member of the toy matinee or an admired solo musician in his own right. He hated that Cheryl Crow record, and that's all he's going to be known for, Bearwald says. The piano player, roll over Kevin Gilbert. Wow, that sucks. Like, she joined this little music club and it sounds like it's just a little songwriting group and she got a hit record and now everybody's like blaming her and mad at her for being a success 
Uh, yeah. Because it sounds like her success overshadowed everybody else, and then they all got butthurt about it. I mean, Justin Timberlake got real popular on his own. No, he didn't. He was no in after NSYNC. after he got out of NSYNC. Like he did NSYNC, and then he just he kind of blew he, up on his own. Yeah, but that's different because he was with a group, and they were all famous, and then he had a, just a better solo. Yeah, that was a different situation. But this is they were all like nobodies. Basically, they were writing songs, and songwriters don't always get the recognition. They get the credit, they don't get the recognition. Nobody knows right. who the fuck you are. But she broke out of that unknown level and left everybody in the dust. Yeah. Which I think is not necessarily fair to, uh, I mean, be happy for her. Jesus. So let's see. <laughs> uh, still, this is from ultimateclassicrock.com. Yeah, Bearwald wrote an icy article for LA Weekly accusing her of causing him to betray O'Brien, who was by then in the throes of alcohol addiction. The death was not directly tied to Crow, and O'Brien's family made a point to note it was actually the result of his own long, long, bloody trip. Still, the unfortunate incident hung over Crow, who was determined to prove herself despite the obstacles female musicians were facing at the beginning of the post-grunge era. A change, it seemed, would do her good, so Crow enlisted a new collaborator, Jeff Trott, for sessions that would produce her self-titled sophomore album. Uh, Trott was just about to leave for a tour with the Wallflowers when Crow asked if he'd come to New Orleans to write with her. Quote, my only objective on this record was to get under people's skin, she told Rolling Stone in 1996, a few weeks after the album's release, because I was feeling like I had so much shit to hurl at the tape. Crow chose to produce the album on her own and play the majority of the instruments as she continued to move away from the persona portrayed on her first album. The hmm. cover image of a denim donning girl who sang about drinking beer at noon on a Tuesday turned into a portrait of a woman in a leather jacket with darkened makeup and a stern stare. Yeah, so basically... I think that everybody shit on her after she got famous, so she tried to change her image and kind of reconcile that because people were blaming her for a suicide that obviously was not her fucking no, fault. Not even remotely. Yeah. I think the 90s were a very male-dominated uh, and aggressive time for music. So Yeah, and there were, there were several women... Uh, Females. I guess the girl groups came a little bit after that in the early 2000s. But I, I do remember a lot of the women from that time kind of trying to break through that. Mm -hmm. so. It was hard. I think in the 90s it was really hard with grunge. Um, and a lot of dudes like in just at, taking over the music industry had to be hard uh, as a woman to break through. I mean, you think of the 90s and it's like, what, Alanis Morissette? And well, she was one of them. I feel like some of her music was probably aimed in that direction of trying to get yeah. past the the male dominated world out there. Yeah, fuck those nerds who try to blame someone's suicide on her just for that small of a comment. The way to blow it out of proportion. Yeah, coming way out of left field on that one. Yeah, uh, uh, Getting, it just tells she me. just gets blindsided by it, like. What you know? Like you guys helped <laughs> me write this fucking album, and now you're mad at me because it did well. What do you actually want from me? Right. Fuck that. So, uh, so yeah. Thanks, Bridget, for suggesting that one. And if you guys have some suggestions for us, then you can send them to us. Don't send us a Facebook message. That's where that one was, <laughs> and I had a hard time finding it. There's just so <laughs> many messaging platforms. Don't send us an Instagram message either. Put it in our group. Because that's public, and 
other people can hold us accountable. Death by Music Podcast Fans is our Facebook group if you want to chit-chat with us and share memes and read stories and watch videos that we talk about in these articles. And if you want to send us an email, deathbypodcasting.gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Later. Death by Music podcast is written and produced by Victoria Motler, Alex Motler, Cassie Gardner, and Jake.